Hello, my friends. Welcome back. My guest today is none other than Mike Thurston, long-time buddy of mine. We're at university in Newcastle over 10 years ago now, and we've been meaning to record this for quite a while. Bumped into each other in Ibiza this summer and made a promise that we were going to find time to get this episode recorded, given the fact that we're both in Dubai at the same moment the stars finally aligned and we got to do it. Mike is one of the most popular YouTubers in the UK. His physique is ridiculous and always has been, even when we were at uni together and he was a couple of years younger than me. Uh, and his insight into training, traveling, life, relationships, steroids, the way to build an online audience, how to grow a YouTube channel, all of this stuff was questions that I know a lot of his fans and me have an interest in. So today we go through it all. It's an extended version, and if you want to go and check it out on YouTube, you will be able to see I'm recording in the beautiful Dubai Marina on the 25th floor of my good buddy Nick's apartment. So go and check out the YouTube version if you want to see us in all of our all of our full glory. I didn't even have Video Guideen with me. Did it on my own. Here's one I prepared earlier. I filmed it myself, kind of. But yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. Any feedback, thoughts that you've got, go and head to the YouTube, leave some comments there. It will be a lively discussion, I'm sure, as Mike's audience will be heading there as well. In other news, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Reebok, the single best training shoe on the planet is the Reebok Nano X, and I will fight any man, woman, or child that says otherwise. If you haven't worn a proper training shoe to go and lift in, to do plyometrics in, to do a circuit in, even if it's just squats or typical bodybuilding, the difference is absolutely astronomical. And if you haven't done it, 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 it's really hard for me to describe just how much of a change it can make to your training. But I promise you, once I put on a pair of Nanos, this is two and a half years ago, I never went back to a different training shoe. I've never worn Metcons again. I've never worn anything else. It's been... <laughs> Nanos all day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner ever since 2018 for me. So, yeah, you have the opportunity, thankfully, because Reebok are wonderful humans, to go and get yourself a pair for under £90. £89 with the code MW20 for 20% off everything site-wide at Reebok.co.uk. Also, if you're in Europe... You can use this code as well. The, the site should auto-redirect to wherever you are in Europe. So you can get 20% off everything, including their Mayonet shorts, their T-shirts, and, of course, the fantastic Reebok Nano X. If you add a pair to your cart and it says, this code isn't valid, it's because you've chosen a colorway which doesn't work with the code. Change the colorway, get a pair in. I, I will continue to talk about them until you go and buy yourself a pair or a second pair or a third pair because I don't think you can have too many. Reebok.co.uk and the code MW20. But for now, it's time for the massive and wonderful Mike Thurston. Oh yeah, P.S. I accidentally on purpose missed my flight back from Dubai last week, so I am staying here for another week. I need to warn you, some of the episodes that we have coming up have some slightly weird stuff in the background, like the sound of a mosque doing prayers in the middle of the afternoon, which you might be able to pick out in this one, and a little bit more echo than you might be used to. But I promise this episode and some of the others coming up over the next couple of weeks are literally the best 
that I've ever put out. They're so motivational, so insightful, so unique, fantastic humans, brilliant stories. So I appreciate you putting up with this while I'm away. I couldn't have got these guys if I was still in the UK. So the price that we all need to pay is a little bit of uh, mosque singing in the background and a tiny bit of echo. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I'm joined by the one and only Michael T's in the building. Michael Thurston, how are you? I'm good. Loving life in Dubai right now. Can't complain. So good to see. The last time that we saw each other, when was that? In Ibiza. 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 We keep on bumping in, into each other in fuckboy cities, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a. Uh... It was a brief meeting up, but obviously Ibiza was very different this year, so... Mm. How long were you out there for? From July until mid-October. It was it was definitely an interesting year. But in a way, it was a good thing because there was less temptation. I get to, to explore the island and train, keep on track with my eating, sleeping. So it was, it was a nice little break from Dubai. Yeah, and now you're back here six months. Yes, until May at least. The plan is... Dubai is going to be my base for the next few years because I do like it. It's got everything I need. Very suitable for what I want, my lifestyle. The only problem I have with it is the summer is absolutely brutal. Like, it is so, so brutal. Yeah, and I'm, I'm the type of person that likes to be outside. I like to sit outside and outside, walk. And you just can't really do that when it gets too hot. So from definitely June until August, it's not the best place to be. So I kind of dip out and will most likely return back to Europe. Mm-hmm. Got any ideas where you're going to be next year? I like Spain a lot, but I'm going to plan closer to the summer because last year, or this year, should I say, I planned everything way too far in advance and obviously all this madness happened and it was just chaos. I basically paid for my accommodation in Ibiza up front, expecting to have the best summer of my life as I turned 30 years old. And then I'm like, oh my God, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Because I didn't even know if I'd be able to get into Spain mm. because they closed the borders until July. But because I'd paid for my accommodation in Spain for that apartment, I was like, well, I'm going to make it work. Make the most out of it. Yeah. And I feel like I did what I could with, you know, the situation um, we had. It was, it was a good summer, but not quite Different. The, the summer that I'd expected. Yeah. We've known each other. I'm trying to work out how long we've known each other. I think it's like 12 years. Because we were at uni together. Yeah. But we must have bumped into each other my first year of uni. When I was in 18. the uni gym. Yeah, when I was 18. 18 years old. A much smaller version. Very smaller Mikey T. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when did you pivot from being in the UK? Because there was a period you were owning a gym, co-owned a gym in the UK. Yeah. Did a bunch of other stuff. And then when did that pivot happen? The change. Yeah. I think that was when, when I left Newcastle, I moved to London because there was something about London which I feel was calling my name. Every time I went to London, I got a buzz of being there. Um, and then when I made that transition from <coughs> training people in person, personal training, uh, to online coaching and starting my YouTube channel, I was then free to do my job anywhere in the world as long as I had laptop, camera, and obviously a gym. So that's when I started doing a lot of traveling. 2018, 2019, I probably did the most traveling. Um, and then this year, obviously not a huge amount of traveling, but just living in 
a different country. I haven't been in the UK since 2019. So what's a typical day look like for you? I've, everybody that watches your vlogs will know that there's sometimes you're in a Lamborghini driving through the desert <laughs> or you skydiving or training with Larry Wheels or doing whatever, but what's a typical day or a typical week? Walk us through. Every, I would say every day is different. I think one of the things which I like most about my life now is I can wake up and I can decide what the hell I want to do with that day. So if I'm like, right, I want to make a video, or I want to do a collab, or I want to do something new and exciting, I'll go off and I'll do it. But if the opposite is true and I'm like, well, do you know what, I just want to chill today and just go to the pool, go to the beach, relax, listen to a podcast or audiobook, take it easy, then that's what I'll do. So what I do on a day-to-day basis is dependent upon my mood and what my schedule looks like YouTube-wise. I guess YouTube is sort of dictating what I'm doing in my life at the moment. And what I'm trying to do is two videos a week. Sometimes I don't always stick to that schedule. Um, it just it, I don't want to put I don't want to rush something and put something out that's mediocre. I'd rather spend a bit more time on it and then put out a good video. Um, but yeah, every day is different. How do you keep yourself disciplined? Because I'm come out to Dubai and my schedule's like all over the place. I don't know what time I'm supposed to be getting up. All of the structures and the routines that I usually rely on to make sure that I'm continuing to progress in different areas of my life, in the gym, in reading, in meditation, in recording, everything, the difficulty level has been increased. Mm -hmm. How do you ensure that you don't just get totally blown away by a party lifestyle or a distraction lifestyle or a sightseeing, new experience? How are you keeping yourself disciplined? I think (laughs) the hardest thing I've found now is... As my sort of following has grown, you get more and more people reaching out to you, more people that are wanting to meet up with you. And particularly in places like Ibiza and Dubai, there's a very active social scene and, you know, party scene. Um, And one of the biggest things which has been a game changer for me is just a lot of times just not drinking. Drinking is a recipe for just ruining everything. My productivity, my, my gym workouts, my sleep. Everything. So if I do go to any of these events or whatever, I'll most likely not drink most of the time. That's helped massively. Um, I've also found that usually what I'll do in the morning is I'll write a list uh, of things which definitely 100% need to get done on that day. Have you got any idea of what that was today or recently? Can you think of a list that you've written? Uh, yes. So I'm trying to think of yesterday. Yesterday was to film a workout with a guy called... Brandon Harding, and then after that was to do a little bit of video editing, then to shoot some content for my protein because Black Friday's coming up and I need to do some promo for them. And then there's just some boring admin stuff like emails and things like that. What I try and do is not make the list too long because I'm so good at making lists and I'm quite terrible at taking doing everything the off of that list. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just think, right, I could just do three or four things and just make sure that they're done. Try and get the hardest things done first. Mm. I try. I find that I'm like way more productive in the morning. When I wake up, I can. What's your typical wake up time? I know it might change based on whether you've been out yeah. or not. But so when do you aim to get up for? Luckily for me, I can wake up when I want, and I don't have an alarm. Like I wake up when my body wants to wake up, and the goal is to try and get seven to eight hours sleep. And the thing which I've noticed about Dubai, because the sun sets quite early, the days are short. So I, because there's a lot of stuff going on at night. Uh, 
I don't want to be staying up too late because that means that I wake up later and then there's less of the day to take advantage of. So I am trying to wake up at nine o'clock. It's not going very well. You messaged me last <laughs> night at half four in the morning asking if we could push this back by four hours. Yeah. So <laughs> this is the crazy thing about Dubai because we were, it was me, Louis, and then this other guy were like, oh, I'm going to find some, somewhere to eat. And there was this one place which I've never tried before. Yeah, it's called London Project, which is just a walk away from mine. And I'd met someone in the gym who invited me to go there because she knows the owner. I was like, okay, cool. So I dropped her a message and said, oh, by the way, I'm going here. Uh, you know, kind of hoping that she would message the yeah, owner. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, we went there. The owner turned out to be there. He introduced himself and then he gave us this like unbelievable service, food, drinks. Like they're coming out with cocktails, even though I didn't want to drink. I maybe had a few, but my friend Louis, he had quite a lot. <laughs> and then... It was like amazing, and that's when the night should have stopped. But the owner then came with like one of his co-workers, and he'd had quite a few drinks. He was like, "Come, come and sit with us." And I was just like, "No!" Like, what time's this? This is probably about twelve thirty. Going home time. Yeah. So obviously, I didn't want to be rude. I was like, "Okay, well, I'll, I'll sit down." And anyway, we all sit down. It's probably about eight of us just chatting away, and it turns out he's just massive big time guy from Australia who is the son of probably one of the wealthiest family wealthiest families in Australia so we had this like unbelievable chat about so many different things he's like doing lots of things he wants to get me involved get Louis involved and then the night just carried on until about 3.30 in the morning and I kept saying to him I was like look I've got a podcast the next day like I need Important. to go and he was like five more minutes <laughs> and I was just like this is just typical Dubai like yeah. all I wanted to do was just go out for a nice meal mm. and then you end up going to this place getting looked after and then meeting someone who is somewhere but to, to, to a lot of people that sounds like a dream world right but yeah. I imagine that when that becomes consistent you must get do you ever get sort of anxiety or a, a level of frustration that you can't knuckle down and do things quite yeah. as easy I was, I was frustrated last night because I was like I'd I want to go to bed, like because I have stuff to do tomorrow, and I know that if I don't get my sleep or if you know I drink, I'm I'm nowhere near as productive the next day, and I, I don't feel like I've wasted the day, but I feel like I could have done a hell of a lot more in that day. And if you compound that over a couple of weeks, a couple mm. of months before you know it, that becomes your life. Yeah, and the the thing with that is, especially with what I'm doing, my physique is almost my business, the way I look. I take a lot of pride in the way I look and I put a lot of work and effort into, you know, sculpting my physique and looking a certain way. And doing things like that, going to bed late and drinking alcohol, is absolutely terrible. It's a polar opposite direction design. of what you're yeah. trying to do. Like drinking, if you drink like more than three drinks, it can massively drop your testosterone levels. It takes like three days for them to go back to normal. Sleep as well. So many disadvantages of not getting enough sleep. Um, and I, I'm aware of them, so... Makes it even worse. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, yeah, here we go. How sick are you of people asking if you're natural? Gosh. Now, at this point, I'm used to it because I've been getting it for like a decade. Like, but what I've noticed is a lot of it is really dependent upon the type of content which I put out. So when I'm doing vlogs and day-to-day -day stuff, not many people talk about steroids or anything like that because the focus is on something else, like just happened in the video. 
when it peaked uh, recently was when I did uh, a full week of training in Ibiza, my current split. Um, and I was at the gym, training topless. I'd managed to get myself into probably one of the best conditions I've been in for a while. It's not that I was bigger, it was just that I was leaner. So obviously when you get leaner, you have the uh, appearance of looking bigger. But because when I was in the gym, I was topless, I was like seriously pumped up because my physique trains on, it changes a lot from, you know, me. Flat to pumped. Pumped up. So I was just like, Jesus, like that looks pretty damn crazy. And then the whole argument comes with, oh, is he natural, is he not natural? And then a few other big YouTubers started making videos on whether I'm natural or not. Derek from More Plates, More Dates. Yeah, Greg Doucette. I think Greg Doucette did like three videos of me this summer, which is... Easy views, man. Yeah. So in a, in a way, it's good because I get some publicity from him. But, you know, if, if someone thinks I've taken something, most of the time, they're always going to think that. And there's not really much I can do to change their mind. But the thing that annoys me is when people will message me and be like, oh, do you know, you, I used to think you were such a role model, but now that I know that you're not natural, I just... Because I of some guy's video yeah, on YouTube. Because he has a proper cult following. People believe everything he says. And uh, What was his justification for why you're on gear? Because of the supposed low levels of body fat, which I have. He said I had 6% body fat, which is not true. No way do I have 6%. Why? I would say most of the time hovering around 10, 11. But it's the distribution of where I hold my body fat. I don't have a huge amount on like my abs or like my torso area. It's like a lot of it is on my thighs and lower back. But he definitely eyed that up wrong. And I think a lot of people assume that I hold, you know, that peak condition which I was in. They assume I'm like that all the time, but I'm not. You know, if I, times when I'm not looking my best, I just don't show it. I don't like, when I'm looking like a little bit chubbier for me, I'm not going to take a picture of myself like that. Or I'm going to find like the light and where I look the best and then I'll show people. That's what people need to understand. Like when they see me in, especially Instagram, if you see pictures of me topless, that is me when I'm looking my best. If, yeah, I've, been the the, if I've been to the gym, got a pump on or I've found like the right lighting, you know, I'm picking the best picture out of like 20 to 30. With a photos. pro photographer. Yeah. Somebody who knows what angle to get. So there was that. Um, and does it irritate the, you? Does it, does it get to you? It does when people say that I'm a liar. And the thing is, I've, I've never made a video addressing this because I, there is no universal test to prove that someone is natural. It doesn't exist. You, there's things you can do. You can take like a, the lie detector test. You get blood work done. There's a few other things you can do as well. But it doesn't prove that you have never, ever taken steroids. You know, if, if I'd done all of those things, you know, and people would be like, okay, well, maybe you're natural now, but maybe a year ago, or for the, you know, from the age of 22 to 26, you would probably take steroids to build a foundation, and now you're not. So it's annoying. I wish that universal test did exist. So you could take it. So I'd well, take, take, so take it. If I would like... take 100%. And I would want everyone to take it because it would be nice to know who actually is natural and who's not. Imagine how much Larry Wills would break that test. I know. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of people that break that test. I do think there are some athletes out there who are natural and they look unbelievable. Um, but I, there is also a hell of a lot of people who 
our take to stuff in the fitness industry. Mm. It's a very competitive industry and people are trying to look the very best. But people are willing to take or do whatever it takes. Do you understand why people think that given the sort of condition that you're in? Yeah. I think if I was to look at myself, I would definitely think I'm, it's, it's achievable to get. I don't think I'm like freaky. I think everything's like in proportion. I don't have like crazy delts. I don't have like spots or anything. But this is the thing which is interesting because I have friends, a lot of friends who have taken stuff. Uh, like, you know, the guy I was, used to be in business with, he was taking quite, quite a lot of stuff and he didn't look very good. Like, didn't look that impressive. There's a lot of people who are taking gear and they don't look that great. Now, let's say, for example, I'm one of those people, I'm taking a lot of gear and I look okay. And then I see a physique like mine. And I'd be like, God, if this is what I look like and I'm taking all this, imagine what he's taking. They cannot comprehend that I'm actually not taking anything at all. So that's something which I imagine if anyone who's taking steroids and they look at my physique and they don't look anywhere near as good, then they will naturally just assume that I'm taking something. And that will trigger them. Yeah. Um, and what I, I always like to show, I'll send you this picture, you may put it on. Dean, make it make it appear now. There's a picture of me ten years old, and like I have very strange development of like I've got abs, I've got like my calves, I've got biceps, and I'm like, look, this is me at ten years old before puberty, yeah, before 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 puberty. So obviously, I'm not a normal person. Like genetics are definitely in my favor, and because this is like my biggest passions, it's my career. I've dedicated my life to it. For the past decade, I've been training for 12 years, then yeah, I'm gonna look quite good. One of the things I always find funny about it is that because we've known each other for so long, and I still know you as the guy that we used to spot me in the gym and we used to train together and do whatever at the university gym mm-hmm. and training upstairs at the Center for Sport and Excellence at Newcastle <laughs> Uni. Um, and seeing that trajectory, you've got sort of linearly bigger pretty much since I've known you. Mm-hmm. So maybe plateaued a little bit over the last like sort of four years. Conditions yeah. maybe improved a little bit. But you essentially just got linearly bigger. Yeah. From when we've known each other. Yeah. And I appreciate why people on the internet who look and see the end result think that that's ridiculous. But I put a photo up on my IG Dean, make it appear now. Uh, yesterday of us when we were working for Globe Girls <laughs> doing like hosting. Heavily oiled up. Very, very oiled up. Yeah, very slippery. Uh, like that. And that's just this sort of slow and steady way progression. Another thing as well, I've been mates with your ex-flatmates, your ex-girlfriends, um, and also then watched your um, progression, I guess, into YouTube. None of them. You would have to have such an unbelievable conspiracy network to keep everybody quiet yeah. about what it is that you're on. Yeah. For no one amongst that, even like an, an ex-girlfriend is the patient zero for the yeah. person who would want to call out the thing that would rumble yeah. their ex. And she never did. No. And then the only other thing, like if anyone's got questions, and this is what I always say because people know that I know you, and they say, I'm like, fucking hell, what's he on? I'm like, he travels to a lot of different countries. How effective at smuggling drugs? Like, not only is he a YouTuber, but he's also like a top-level drug runner. <laughs> he's able to like smuggle testosterone and growth hormone and insulin. Especially last year, the amount of places I went to last year, like effectively trying to do that would have been miracle. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think 
when did it get worse? Or when was there a period before you're now quite equanimous and relaxed about it? Was there a period where you I thought, I'm going to have to address this? When I started YouTube, that's when a lot of the rumors came about. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to address it. I wanted to put a video together. But I, I was thinking so many times I thought how to do this properly. It must be a because, temptation. Because, that's because a, I've seen other people do it and they failed miserably. Like I've seen Simeon Panda. He tried to make a video claiming that he was natural. And he got so much hate for it. So much hate. What did he do wrong? I think people just don't believe him. They look at his physique and they're like, no, it's not possible that you're natural. Do you think he is? He could be. I don't know. This is the thing. I don't know what all these people are doing. You're just assuming. And all these people that make videos about me, it's like, you don't know me. You don't know what I do. This is just you making an assumption based on the way I look. It's what everyone is doing. With Simi Panda, like, he does look... He looks crazy. He looks freaky. <laughs> he looks but he could, he could be a genetic freak. You know, billions of people on this planet, there are going to be some genetic freaks out there. And uh, it's been a while since I've seen that video, but he did a lie detector test. I think he did a few other things as well. People just straight up refuse to believe it. Like, and if I was to do the same thing, try and make this video, do all these tests, if somebody is in their head convinced that you take steroids... It's almost impossible to change their mind. That would be an interesting one. So if there's people watching who think that that would be a good idea for a video, I'd love to know in the comments what level of evidence they would accept yeah. to believe. Like if you were to do a thing and independently administered this test or whatever, because I think you're quite right, it's kind of like the boy that cried wolf, happy to continue to accuse you of using PEDs, but also there is no level of evidence that they would be happy yeah. with to accept that you're not. Yeah. And even, let's say, for example, this, I was trying to imagine a world where there actually was a test. Then I would imagine people would be pay, could possibly pay huge amounts of money to cheat, to cheat the test because that would have a huge impact on their career and then maybe how many programs they sell. So I, just, I can never, I honestly wish they'd never been invented. I wish steroids didn't exist. Because you wouldn't have because to Because I'd deal. be like up here. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone else would be... And there wouldn't be all this shit and all this like pointless debates. I used to, to argue with people. I used to get into arguments with people online and try and prove, you know, the comments. Like, no, 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 I'm not sure because I learned it. Just a huge waste of energy. I spent all day, every day arguing with people as to whether I'm not really? sure or not. Really? Yeah. On YouTube? Yeah, on YouTube, on Instagram, whatever it might be. And I'm like, it's not productive whatsoever. Can't change your mind. Waste of time. Have you ever been tempted to take steroids? Mm, I've been curious to know what I would look like, but I think I would just look freaky, like too big. I don't want to be that big. Like I've actually, I've been very content with the way I have looked and my progression. And I think now, like, you know, it's kind of plateaued. I've kind of looked the same for the past few years. If I wanted to take my condition to the next level, what would have to happen is I would have to live a very monk-life existence. The social life would take a hit. Everything would need to be very regimented. I'd probably need to have a coach. Every session would need to be so unbelievably brutal. My nutrition would have to be on point. Every meal prepped. No alcohol. No parties. Eight hours sleep every single night. And yeah, I would look better. I'd probably put on a bit of size. But 
that's not a life I want to live. It's a price you're not prepared to pay. Yeah, I competed twice before, and did you? Yeah, 2014, 2015, WBFF. Okay, and it was a good experience to to actually go on stage and to go through the whole process of competing. I didn't like it. It was the first time in my life where I was like really not happy with my physique because I was just like, oh god, like I'm just not lean enough. Even though I was fucking shredded, I was like, <laughs> oh, you can't see like the striations in my ass. Like, who the hell cares about that? But that was, like, the weird mindset that I was getting into. Are you concerned about having a physique like yours and putting it out online about what sort of body dysmorphia that might cause downstream? For me? For other people that are Oh, for other people. Uh, Yeah. Because I think there's there's a lot of people who would want to look like me. And it's... I don't want to be like brutal, but I want to be realistic with people. I think anyone should go out there with a mindset of trying to achieve their dreams and not letting anything stop them. But if someone is like, you know, they've got like kids, they're working like a really stressful job and they have, at the end of the day, really shit genetics, like they're going to have a very, very hard time coming close to looking like me when my whole life is dedicated to looking like this and I've got good genetics as well. So it's tough. And that's why I never ever say in my videos, you can look like me. I've never said that once. Most of my videos have been put out there to just help people to stop making mistakes, which I've made. Like to, to just help them eat better, eat the right things, and to just, more importantly, just lift good proper technique. Technique is massive. Form, execution, intensity. Most people lack that when they go to the gym so if everyone just focused on that a little bit more they would be a hell of a lot closer to looking the the way they want to look or the best that they could possibly look I think that's a good insight that when people do the comparison game we're not all starting from the same base point yeah like I am as much of a like shit talker and a critic as will be but I believe that you're natural and given that fact and given the way that we've both seen friends of ours, mutual acquaintances, jump on huge cycles and then come off and not make that much difference to mm. their physique, you have to think, like, there's something in you. I know that your passion is lifting weights. There's something in your particular physiology composition that doesn't actually want you to be that big or that lean. Yeah. And the fact that that's, that can be true means that, sadly, some people's passions aren't actually what they're going to be good at. You can love lifting weights, but if your love of lifting weights is determined by the outcome, i.e. end goal physique that you get at the end of it, some people are putting themselves into a situation where the only outcome is disappointment. Yeah, exactly. It's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Because that's funny because a lot of people say, oh, you should do what you're really passionate about. But sometimes you should just do what you're really good at at the end of the day. Like, uh... When I got into personal training, I never thought that I would be like a good teacher. Uh, but it turns out that after years of training people, you know, thousands of hours with clients, I got quite good at breaking down quite complex terms or movements and just making it easy for people to understand. And that's what helped grow my channel in the first place, doing tutorial videos and execution videos. And people are like, oh my God, like, it makes so much sense now. I don't need to use technical terms to try and convey a point. Just talk about it in simple terms for the 
basic person to understand. And then we're like, oh, shit, yeah, that works. Yeah. So let's get on to that because after all of this time traveling, suboptimal environment, like it doesn't matter how good the gym in Dubai is, it can't compensate for a 4.30 a.m. finish. Yeah. And you're distracted with offers for collaborations with different people, a lot of which won't involve eating rice and broccoli and yeah. being in the gym. So take us through like the principles that you use for training now. So I think the, the most important thing for me is to just get the session done. Going to the gym and having a good session is the most important thing. The nutrition side of things, if you're eating you know, at restaurants or cafes or you're on the move, it's not going to be optimal. And that's, you know, it's just the way it is. I will try to get my protein in, you know, what around, you in for? around 210, 220 grams of protein a day. And what do you weigh? 90, 95 kilograms at the moment. So that's about, around about two, yes, two, two grams. Yes, 2.2. I have 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. So if I can get a good session and get my protein in, yet the, my overall calorie intake for the day, I won't know it exactly, but if I can hit roughly the, the right figure, then I'll be okay. I can maintain. Um, so we've got compliance, aim to hit your protein. It's the, the consistency of going to the gym. That's what most people suck at because they go weeks or months with not going or they have shitty sessions. So there's that, get the protein in. The overall, overall calorie intake in, I don't, like the fats and the carb ratio, that can vary. It doesn't matter a huge amount. Way, way too many people get stressed out about that. Protein, overall calorie intake is the most important things, in my opinion. Um, and then get a good night's sleep. A lot of people underestimate the power of sleep. And if I can do that, I can continue to look good. Also, I would also say the, the quality of the food has a big factor on the way you look and feel and perform. And one thing which I would say is not good for me is eating highly processed foods and the sugar. What are the places you fall off with that? Uh, what do you mean? Like you commonly eat like a croissant? No, thinking, so, so I, I, I'm really good now because I think about, I, I think one step ahead. You know, I'll think, God, I would really love to eat this cookie. But I'm thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to feel after I eat this cookie? And I know that when I eat something really sweet, I'll have like a bit of a crash and it makes me crave more of it afterwards. Like that's messed up my palate for the rest of the day. If I have something sweet, I'm like, right, well, all I want now is sweet stuff. Sugar's like cocaine. Yeah. You want more and more and more. So I know if I stay away from the sugar, then I actually don't crave the sugar. Mm -hmm. So we haven't talked once there, the compliance or consistency with your training, the hitting your protein, getting it from the right sources, getting enough sleep and hitting mm -hmm. your calories. Not once have we talked about push-pull legs, level of intensity, supersets, reps, weights, any of that stuff. Yeah. And is that that's purposeful? You're yeah, I don't, I don't think that's... Whether you're doing the drop set or superset or anything like that, I mean, you're getting more technical, but I think that's, in terms of the hierarchy of importance, that's like at the bottom. Okay. And then moving into training, what do you rely on now? So let's say that your normal life with an okay level of availability... What are you? What's a typical sort of week of training look like for you? So what I try and do is I'll I'll design a split for myself and I follow it for a few weeks and then I'll change it up. And obviously I might not stick to it all the time if I'm doing like you know like workouts with other people and stuff. But I'll have like I look at my physique and I'm like okay so for the next month I'm going to focus on like maybe my hamstrings. I'll focus more on my shoulders. There's like two or three muscle groups which are the focus. 
and I try and hit them more frequently. So overall, the volume is higher compared to other muscle groups. And then I'll change that up, uh, you know, the next month. Uh, but the most important thing which I try and do is obviously to grow muscle is to, to overload that muscle. And when it gets to a point where I actually can't lift anymore, then that's when I incorporate the other forms of manipulating intensity, such as partial reps, drop sets, supersets, things like that. You spoke about form and intensity in workouts. How do you make sure that you've constantly got that happening? So this is a, this is a funny one. Like if I go into the gym and I train alone and listen to my music, I am in the zone. Like I like, that is the one point in my day where I'm like really in my element. I couldn't be happier. Like I've, I'm very passionate about music. When I'm listening to my music, I'm in the gym. What are you listening to? Most of the time it's like UK rap or grind. I don't know why, just like... Hard to relax to that, isn't it? No, yeah. Like, <laughs> I will not be sat at home on my computer listening to that because I'm like, shh, shut the fuck up. Like, that's too intense. Enough stormy. Yeah. Um, so whenever I'm there listening to that, I'm like really happy. There's a lot of times, especially out here in Dubai, loads of people want to train with me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll train together. And depending on, like, everyone is very different. I have some people who I train with who uh, have like a mad session with them. Usually they're the people who are stronger than me. They're bigger than me. I like training with them because they lift heavier and I'm like more likely to want to keep up with them and they'll help spot me and so on. If I'm training with someone who lifts lighter than me or just loves to chat, I don't like training with them. I find it really difficult to train people who don't shut the hell up, like they talk all the time because the session needs to be intense. I'm only in the gym for an hour, so I need to make a count. And if someone's trying to like have a proper catch up with me in between sets, you just talking do to that before, do that yeah. after. And if you have the energy to have a full-on conversation after a set, then I really question how intense that set was. So in terms of intensity, if you're working in a rep range of like 8 to 14, but you're binning yourself on that, you must be overloading quite a lot. Yeah. It's very taxing on the body. What I will usually try and do is maybe like the first or second set, like, yeah, I'm pushing myself. It's not quite a failure. And the last set, that's the one where it's like all out, complete failure the assistance of a spotter taking me beyond concentric failure and I'm like literally moving to the point where I can't even lower the weight like it's that intense um, and usually yeah I'll come out of the gym I'll be pretty drained um, and that's especially at my level of training that is what is required for me to maintain or to even grow further do you think is that the most common error that you see people making when it comes to training a lack of intensity a lack yeah. of overload yeah, I think people try and lift. There'll be a lot of people who will try and lift as heavy as possible, but the form is crap. So it's like, okay, you're trying to, like, let's say, for example, grow your chest, but all the tension is on your shoulder and tricep. So you're not really going to be doing a whole lot for your chest. You probably injure yourself at the same time. But I think a lot of people, they either struggle to push themselves to take themselves beyond that point of, you know, discomfort and pain and go into that new horrible world and just stay there for a bit particularly when it comes to leg training um and then a lot of people just they just chat too much in the gym for too long an hour and a half two hours which is there's no need to be there for that long who is the most intense training partner that you've trained with god that was a good question <laughs> There's one I did recently. It's a guy called Blessing the Boogeyman. I forgot his name. Oh yeah, yeah. So terrifying. he's like 
his form is pretty atrocious, but in terms of intensity, he's pretty like damn crazy. Um, God, and then I, I did a session once with Dorian Yates. That was good fun. Like when he's like coach, I didn't train with him. He was coaching me. But when he's there coaching, you just like, well, I don't want to look like a bitch in front of Dorian Yates, so I'm I'm going to push myself. I really want to have a leg day with Tom Platts. Like, <laughs> I watch him train, and I've seen how he pushes other people. I think that would just be, I would certainly take myself to a, a completely different level of intensity that I've ever experienced before. And I like that. The thought of it actually scares me. But I would... I would come out of it thinking, God, that was so good. So Tom Platt is on the wish list. Who else yeah. would you want to train with? Uh, Callum Von Moga. I think he's a cool guy. I'd he's like cool to do dude. a collab with him. Um, Simeon Panda, I've chatted to him before. Um, we've just not been in the same place at the same time. Uh, and then in terms of celebrities, like a few people ask me, like, who is the one celebrity you'd love to train with? I'd love to train with The Rock. I think that would be pretty cool. That'd be a big session. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I've had I've had some I've had some pretty brutal training sessions in my time, but a lot of the the really intense ones have just been with like not influencers, just your typical hardcore bodybuilder that doesn't give a damn about social media or Instagram. Some like proper rough people from Newcastle, Geordies. Brad Tarrant. No, 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 no. <laughs> just like not even. I've had some good sessions with him, but like just these proper rough. Someone you're finding gold star. Yeah, they, they, used go, they used to go to Men at Work. <laughs> like just like for everyone who doesn't know what men at work is it's 50% of the people that train in there the guys that train in there are still in their rigger boots and their high vis yeah. jacket from work they wear, they wear the same outfit every single session all the benches are covered in um, like dust from graft and they've yeah. still got their boots on yeah it's and like they'll just like completely take the piss out of me because obviously I'm there like my nice, nice outfit yeah. looking like a pretty boy and they're like yeah who does this Pussy. And they took, they took me through some horrible sessions. Like, I just remember, like, doing legs and just feeling sick, like, looking in the mirror covered in sweat, just, like, pale as a ghost. And, like, obviously the, the, the form wasn't perfect or anything like that, but it was just pure, intensity. raw intensity. Like, just keep going, keep going. Have you ever considered training in different sort of training styles? Have you ever considered functional fitness, CrossFit, any of that sort of stuff? I've, I've tried it, but honestly, just... Don't enjoy it. I know you've done some CrossFit, but I think it's horrible. Like that style of training, like not not one ounce of my body enjoys that. It's brutal, like proper brutal. It's, I don't know why people do it. I mean, the, the best thing about it is when the session is finished and you're like, God, that was really hard and I pushed myself. And it does turn you into a conditioned savage. I will give it that. But the session itself when I'm doing it, I don't I don't like to do anything endurance based. Like once I've kind of hit the fifteen rep mark, I'm like <laughs> my heart then starts going boom boom. What about like a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu I'd be I'd be quite interested to do that. Like either like martial arts, just there's something about self defense. Uh yeah, like learning a new skill. I did some work with Brad on the pads and I actually realised how useless I was at like throwing punches and combinations. Yeah. Like just how quick you have to be and the position you have to get your body into when you throw a punch and protect yourself. Mm. Stuff I wouldn't even think about. Like, uh, you know, when I was younger, like I got myself into a few scraps, but that's like, that's not proper fighting. That's just like swinging, swinging a monkey punch. Like. Yeah. So 
that's something which I definitely want to do. There's a few there's a few skills which I I would like to have under my belt. I need to stretch more. That is. I was going to say in terms of prehab, rehab, nothing. protecting your body, you don't do anything. No, and that's like the reason why I'm staying injury free is because I know what my body can handle. I don't do stupid one rep maxes uh, or like complex movements or movements which I know my body is not comfortable with doing. And the form is always slow and controlled. So in that sense, I'm kind of protecting myself because I want to be doing this long term future until I can't, basically. I can't imagine my life without lifting. But I would imagine if I do stretch, you know, my, the joint health would be improved, mobility would be much better. I think uh, particularly with leg movements, I would be able to get a greater range of motion. Um, but it's just it's pure laziness as to why I don't do it. It must seem mad for some people listening to look at your physique and think that there's areas of your training that you're lacking in. Yeah. You know, that you've got laziness still in there. Yeah. I think it's because I've not needed, because I know I can get away with training without needing to do it. I just think, well, I'm not going to do it. Path of least resistance. But it's one of those things where I know if I did do it and I was consistent with it, it would be highly beneficial. But I don't do it. But not as beneficial as maybe another night out or another vlog nah. or a bit of work yeah. or whatever it yeah. might be to lower down the, the but you can I, I can make time I would never say I don't have time if, if it's something I really want to do I will make time to do it mm. like without doubt travelling a lot over the last few years and obviously building up an audience 1.1 mil subs on YouTube now etc mm-hmm. has that changed your view on relationships obviously you're consistently in cities with very transactional Relationships in them with exotic women. Exotic women. <laughs> Has that changed your opinion on relationships or your sort of viewpoint? What have you learned about relationships? What I've learned is I'm not a point in my life right now to be in a relationship. I had the experience of being one, probably like the, the first serious one I've had for a while, start of this year, and she like literally was so sound, like she ticked all the boxes like wifey material but I just I wasn't ready for that well, I think what I, had, that mean? I had the experience of almost what life would be like being sort of married because of the whole uh, lockdown situation particularly here in Dubai um, you, you pretty much weren't allowed to leave the house so we were in a relationship we were, we were seeing each other and then all of a sudden it just got like really intense because I was like well come we might as well stay together because she had a, like a very small apartment and she would have God if she had to stay there it would be horrible for her so she moved in um, and it was really like it was good but it was like the most intense thing I've ever done in terms of relationship I've never lived with a partner let alone being with them 24-7 not being able to leave the house like for two months it was absolutely ridiculous and uh I was just like, this this life isn't for me. And the weird thing was, is like because I was I was with her for so long, I ended up like fantasizing about being with like other women. It was weird. Like it was there was that, and then the fact that when I went over to Ibiza, I'd almost felt like I was free again I could do what I want when I left Dubai we said you know we'll you know we'll see how it goes but I had no no plans for it being 
very long lasting because I've been I've done a long distance relationship before and it was brutal like going extended periods of times of not sleeping with that person or anything like that like I just didn't like it and when I went to Ibiza I, like it was like starting from fresh wasn't in a relationship I could do what I want speak to whoever I wanted to and then I was like sleeping with a few girls and I was like the happiest I could possibly be when I left Dubai I wasn't really that happy I what was it about that was it the I think it was a combination of everything like it definitely was not her it was a combination of um, just post lockdown Dubai was a weird place it wasn't the fun Dubai which I'm used to a lot of my friends who I'm very close with who would have been in and out of the city weren't because they weren't letting tourists in so I just missed socialising and meeting new people and with the lifestyle which I live at the moment you know, I'm, uh, I'm traveling all over the place or doing cool things every day or, you know, in situations where there's lots of girls around me, if I'm like at a boat party or doing something else or talking about relationships, uh, I wouldn't be able to be my true self because I would always be thinking, right, I need to be respectful to my girlfriend. So I have to behave in a certain way or I shouldn't be in the situation in the first place. Shouldn't be with Chris Gale. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Being at like a pool party or being on a boat, in my opinion, I think that would be disrespectful to my partner if I was in a relationship. And I don't want to make someone unhappy. So I think for in that situation, she deserved better than me because I was not giving her the proper boyfriend partner experience which she deserved. Because that's what she wanted. She was she didn't like going out, she didn't like partying, drinking or anything like that. She just wants a man to be loyal, true, respectful, treated the way she deserves to be treated. And I think it came to a point where I was like, I'm, I'm not the, the person to provide that for her. What would you change about British culture if you could? Like, we've still got a lot of buddies who are back in the UK. You've moved around, been in Newcastle, spent a fair bit of time there, not only being a student, but starting a business, then moved to London, then still will be in touch with a lot of friends and family. Are there any elements of yourself that you've changed over the last few years that you wish you could red pill those people on back home as well? Mm. I don't know because like because I'm not in the UK like I don't mind it's like they can do what they want to in the UK it doesn't affect me mm. but I think a lot of people from the UK they just party way too hard like they love to just get on the drink the, the problem I had when I lived in Newcastle I had the best group of friends ever like I had such a laugh with them we all had each other's back and it was a hell of a lot of fun but they just partied too hard like the, the alcohol the drugs and me being in that circle it was not good for where I wanted to be in my life like that would just pull me away from my goals in so many different ways and what I noticed is I had all these ambitions and goals for my life and they didn't share those same ambitions they're the type of people that are probably going to be in Newcastle for the rest of their life and we'll probably be doing the same thing, you know, for the next few years, five years, ten years. Like, they're not going to massively grow or evolve. But they're cool with that. Like, they're content. That's their life. But that's not what I wanted for myself. So one of the hardest things I had to do was to just to leave them all to, in pursuit of me going to chase my own goals. Is that a difficult decision? Yeah. Like, I remember when I left uh, Newcastle, it was like, uh, I hated it. Because I, after being there for like eight years, I had so many friends there. Moving to London, didn't know anyone in London. Like saying goodbye to my best mate, Brad Tarrant, like that was horrible. And I do, I still miss him to this day. Like 
proper, proper good mate of mine. But it was just something that needed to be done in order for me to, you know, to... Moving to London was the best thing I could have done because there was less of the party scene, less of the temptation. I was, for the first time, living by myself. There was no distractions. So I could just... The productivity went massively. And uh, from then on, that, you know, within that first year of me starting YouTube, I got like 300,000 subscribers in the first year. And that was just from <laughs> grassing my ass off. Didn't really do much on the weekend, just kind of stayed in. But I think after experiencing what that was like, you know, just staying in, not really doing much, editing all the time, I was like, God, there needs to be more to life than this. And I think that's what kind of pushed me to want to travel. So you've tried, you've straddled both sides of the extreme there. Mm-hmm. You've gone yeah, from the like hyper party to the yeah, monastic. So there was there was the the period in Newcastle where it was like fun, it was crazy, um, and then I decided I need to get away from that. I moved to London, and then it was the complete opposite. There wasn't that balance. I was way too heavily involved with work and not satisfying that other side of life. You know, the, the enjoyment, pleasure, experiences, and things like that. Um, and that's when I decided, okay, yeah, I need to not necessarily work less, but just switch a few things around. That's the hardest thing, mm-hmm. personally, is someone who wants to build a platform, who wants to do things that I care about and achieve things that I'm proud of, but also wants to live and enjoy life. Yeah, that's that, by far that's the hardest thing I experience as well. Because you, if you're an ambitious person, you have all these goals for yourself and you know what you need to do in order to achieve those goals. But some of the, the best times of my life and the things I look back on, I just either laugh at or just think, oh my God, that was so good or so funny. They're the times when I was like either out partying or I was just doing fun things with my friends or maybe like with a partner. Basically something which is not work-related. Despite the fact that you enjoy work. Yeah. And I just I remember a few times which are work-related where I think, damn, that was like a really good day, whether it be a club or something like that. But the best and funniest times have been not work-related. And, you know, if, if like, say, for example, there's a holiday or there's an event coming up or, like, something which may involve alcohol or partying, one side of me is like, I should avoid that because it's not going to help me achieve my goals doing this, that, or whatever. Maybe I'll be hung over the next day. But then another side of me is going to be like, this is going to be absolutely hilarious, and you and your friends are going to be talking about this for the rest of your life. So I'm just like, well, just, just do it. I think if, it's the 80-20 rule. If 80% of the time you are working, you're uh, doing something to help you progress towards your goals. You know, if 20% of the time you're having fun, doing whatever, then so be it. So that's the rule that you rely on? You try and aim for like an 80-20 split. Yeah, but sometimes it's not Swings quite one way and swings Sometimes it's 50-50. <laughs> what other lessons do you wish that you could tell yourself 10 years ago? Mm, it's funny because I've, I've been asked this a few times and I think where I am right now at 30, I'm so happy with my life that I wouldn't really go back and change much because what has happened in my life has led me to this point today. What I would probably say is... Uh, I would just say, look, social media is going to be huge. Get on that straight away. I think when Instagram became popular, I didn't take advantage of that as much as I could have. I got on Twitter relatively early compared to a lot of other influencers. 
I just thought it was a bit of fun, so I was just like, yeah, just post basic pitches. And when really I should have dedicated a lot more time each day to create content for that platform to help me grow. Uh, the same thing with YouTube. I procrastinated for about a year before I started YouTube because of my just fear of being on camera. It was like absolutely useless in being on camera. If I'd started that earlier, I feel like I could have been a little bit further ahead than where I am now. Uh, and I think this is one thing which I spent years training my clients, probably three years training clients day in, day out. I wasn't earning a huge amount of money. Like in Newcastle, it's not the most affluent area. I'd probably make a 30 pound an hour training a client. And I'd bust my balls all day, every day, because I, whenever I train a client, I'd like to give them hundred percent of my time and effort. And when you do that with five or six people, at the end of that, you just wiped out. And doing something like that, you can't scale. There's only, there's a cap on how much money you can make. And it's very time intensive. And it took me far too long to realize that this, this isn't the way forward. The moment I made that transition from training clients to <clears throat> bringing out uh, a cheaper service, like a, a training program, whether it be an ebook or an app-based training program, you can sell an unlimited amount, passive income. You make money, you sleep. Your job is just to market it. That was the biggest game changer for me. That's when my income went like da 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 I was like, why the hell did I not do this sooner? But I think all those thousands of hours which I put into training clients, that made me a better coach. Like that made me better uh, talking about things on YouTube and breaking things down. There's a lot of people now on social media or who are proclaimed you know, online coaches. They've never trained clients in their life. Like how can you be an online coach if you've never trained someone in person or you don't have that experience under the belt? And I see it a lot now. There's a lot of people out there who, you know, they have the hundreds of thousands of followers or like millions. They're offering like customized programs. And it's like, you, you are not, you are not doing these programs. You are paying somebody else to put the programs together. You may, you might not have even built the programs yourself. And I just think like, how can you, how can you do that? How can you be selling people a program which you say you've made, but you haven't actually made, you just paid somebody else to do it. That's why I always pride myself on the stuff I do. Like any program which I've sold or any plan I give to someone, I've sat there and I've like put it together myself. And there's a lot of people out there who they are in a position they are because of either the way they look or just very successful marketing. And the problem is there's so many people that are just gullible or naive. It's hard to tell the difference. Yeah, they, they just fall into the trap. Somebody who is very convincing as a good salesman, saleswoman, and has good marketing, you know, they're going to get that customer. They'll get that client. There's a lot of coaches out there who really know their stuff, uh, who just don't have the following or they don't get the income they deserve because, you know, they're not either taking a shortcut or they're just not really that great at marketing themselves. What's the, what's the main advice that you give to a fledgling content creator who wants to start making money online or start vlogging or YouTubing or Instagram, what are the things that you would say that they need to get locked down? I would say, first of all, understand what you're getting yourself into. Like, to to create content, good content, it takes time and thought, particularly like YouTube. I don't think a lot of people understand the amount of effort that goes into putting videos together. I know so many people that are like, yeah, yeah, I'm starting a YouTube channel. They put out a few videos and they're like, 
not, not doing that. Well, you told me before we started that you your most recent vlog had taken three full days mm. of work mm-hmm. to just to film, then your edit time. Yeah. Well, the edit time was kind of within that as well. Uh, but I just thought, like, God, that took, like, quite a lot of time. And even I was questioning, like, is that re- was that really worth it? If a video gets over 150,000 views or 200,000 views, then I'm like, okay, yeah, that's good. If it gets more than half a million, I'm like, okay, it's very good. If it goes, like, more than a million, then that's, like, yeah, that's a really right. solid video. Okay, so we've got the, you need to know what you're getting yourself So you need for. to know what you're getting into. You need to, at this stage, ha- you have to figure out a way to stand out, like, now it's like the most saturated market ever. You have to ask yourself, how are you going to be different? You, know, you can't just try and copy someone else. Uh, what do you think makes you different? I think one thing I'm going to lie, the thing that's helped me to begin with is obviously the way I look. Having a good physique can help, but that is not uh, the only thing that's important. You can be the type of person that provides very informative information. Like if you just provide good information and it makes sense, then people will like that. Even if you don't have a great physique, people will be like, yeah, I'm learning a lot by watching this guy's videos or content. You could have a great personality, be very charismatic, be very entertaining. Uh, you know, if you are, what, if something about you which is very engaging, people just want to watch more, uh, then you are, you'll be successful. I think with me, uh, like I said, there's, there's been my physique, but I think I stayed very true to who I am, and I'm honest, and I like to, I, I just say it how it is. I've never tried to be someone I'm not. Like what you see in the video is me. Like I, I honestly just feel like I'm a normal person. I don't try and be like super funny. I don't try and be like. You know, I don't try and talk about things I don't understand. If I don't understand it, I either say, oh, yeah, I don't really know, or I just don't talk about it. I, I talk about things which I myself understand. And then uh, just share from experience. I think it, one thing which kind of helped me grow, or like the, the I say the love, that's the wrong word, but that people felt more of a connection was when I opened up a little bit more. So when I talk about like my life, my problems, mistakes I've made, uh, just sharing my thoughts, I think that can be quite good as well. It's very rare to find online the vast majority of content creators that I see are fitting a mould that they think other people want to see. And for the most part, that involves a bit of a, a meta game where they're projecting this version of themselves. This is Podcast Chris. This is Vlog Mike. Yeah. And totally correct some of the most engaged bits of content i've ever seen on the internet when people genuinely open up about there's the vulnerability about their concerns about their hopes their dreams Mm -hmm. you know all of this sort of stuff and that's certainly one way that you can stand out you said you need to find a way to stand out that's a fairly easy way to stand out to just aim for honesty yeah the thing is everybody is different and each person is unique in their own way like I, I can't try and be somebody else. Like I, I, or yeah, I am Mike Thurston. There's only one Mike Thurston, so just be Mike Thurston. And yeah, like you said, I think especially now, I just I, I don't care anymore. Like the older I get, I just don't care about anything. So I'm more than willing to just 
talk about things I've done in the past. Which you, you are concerned if one of the videos, if you were to release 10 videos in a row and all of them hit less than 150K though, yeah, how would that make you feel? Yeah, that's a weird one. That would, I would be disappointed, but I think what, I would have to just think to myself, right, I see this all the time now, people blame the algorithm. It's not, it's not the algorithm. Like people are just bored of the content you're putting out. So I would reevaluate, okay, so what is it that I'm doing? Because something which I'm saying or doing in the video, people are starting to tune out. It's either it's just not valuable content or it's getting a bit repetitive or it's getting boring. So I need to switch up. And I think this is something which I kind of did, especially recently. I used to do very specific videos on training and nutrition. It, you know, not much personality, just me being a coach. Some of the videos did well, but as a lot of other people start to go onto YouTube, everyone's making these videos about meal prep, uh, food challenges, or like how to build your chest, full workouts, things like that. And I'm like, God, what am I going to put up another workout video? Like people are just going to get bored with this. So that's when I kind of transitioned a bit more into vlogging and lifestyle because your life is, your life is no one else's life. And if you're giving people insights, your life, and I think realistically my life is, Sometimes I think, why the hell are people watching me? But I'm in Dubai doing quite a lot of mad stuff on a day to day basis. I'm like, oh, maybe this is quite interesting. So I just document it. There's certainly one part of YouTube that I feel quite uncomfortable about coming from a podcasting background. My goal with recording a show is to try and give the people that listen a unique insight that helps them to understand themselves or the world around them. Even if someone listens who has no dreams of becoming a bodybuilding, YouTubing, traveling person, mm -hmm. but they go, actually, that's really interesting. What Mike said about how he had to have faith that his goals long-term or what he wanted to do. And he need to sacrifice something in the short term like that, or even if they're just entertained, but mm -hmm. my goal is not to look at an episode you've done. Have you even been on a podcast before? Yeah. A long time ago. To look at that podcast and go, right, that podcast did well. I'm going to try and recreate that podcast. But you see yeah, these yeah, trends yeah. like COVID-19 working their way through YouTube world. Oh, so if we do a, how much did I earn from this video video? Yeah, everyone starts. Everybody starts yeah. to do it. Or can we do a special forces selection video? And then that trickles down. Or can we do a, like a go and see uh, Niall Watts-Face, the guy that does gymnastics, and then he'll go and do it. Yeah. And you're like, I, I, I don't get me wrong, it's a good idea and views are views and clicks are clicks. But for me as a content creator, waking up on a morning and looking at what someone else had done and thinking, okay, that's what I'm going to aim to do. It, it's like uh, being all, all show and no grow. Yeah, that's why sometimes I try not to watch other people's YouTube videos because I don't want to get influenced by what they're doing. That's interesting. I am intrigued as to why something will all that's of a sudden blow up. Yeah. Sometimes it's the thumbnail, it's the title, it's the algorithm. Like YouTube will, depending upon maybe the watch time, whatever it might be, they just decide to recommend a video to complete strangers. And for whatever reason, that video just gets lots nice. of views. You can't predict that that will happen. A lot of the time it's, it's very sort of hit and miss, but you're right. Like you shouldn't structure your content based on what other people are doing. I think you have to just sit down and just try and think of unique things to do yourself. It makes me really uncomfortable that. Yeah. I, I would love to just get endless, or like a hundred titles for YouTube, like the craziest like titles that would make you think, God, that would be a good is. video. Yeah. 
Because if I have the title, I can go off and make the video. The hardest thing is to think of the title. So is that how you do your video? You begin with the title and then I, try and work back from that? I used to. Sometimes I will do, because if it's a banging title, I'm just like... What's I'm a banging not, title that you've done recently? How, how to walk yourself to 10% body fat. Okay. And I like, got like over half a million views. Focused on, I'm going to guess, like neat and... Yeah, so it's basically how... If you can increase your daily step count and do it consistently whilst doing other things, you can reduce your body fat. But the title is that's like an interesting title and specific because walking 10% body fat is like, oh. Those two yeah. sound like a juxtaposition. Yeah. So you've got that and then you speak to your video guy, put a little bit of stuff together. Yeah. And so then- it's the title and then I have like the bullet points of how I'm going to do it. Sometimes if it's like the vlogs, I'll pick the title based on the most interesting thing that happened in that video. But sometimes it's hard, like, I'll have, like, it's an interesting vlog and cool things have happened in it, but you have to think of a title. And it's like, I hate being clickbaity. I don't like, you know, having a title which doesn't really have anything to do with the video or maybe has, like, 10 seconds relevance to the video itself. And at the end of the day, if you have a relatively boring title, people are just going to be like, no. So it's always a fight between being page three or being so subtle that no one clicks on it. Yeah. And it's, I don't want to be the type of person that makes videos to get attention, to do like dramatic things uh, in order to get the views in. I'd rather people be like, yeah, I'm going to watch that video because I know Mike puts out good content and I, I won't have to fall into that need of doing those dramatic clickbaity titles. You got, fairly far without having to rely on yeah. Louis and, and, and being in a Ferrari and stuff like that. How much of a difference, because obviously people are going to go, oh, it's easy for him. He's got a videographer. He's able to rent or like borrow a car or a jet ski or do this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like how much of that is making a difference now? Is it only once you get to a particular level? I think it just, it makes it easier. The hardest thing I found was uh, like getting some of the shots. And I didn't like all the time just having to talk to the camera. Not with that thing. Yeah. So it's nice when he's there and he can just capture things naturally. That's what I like the most, just capture, capturing my day naturally. I hate it when things are staged. When, you know, if you, if you meet someone you haven't seen for a long time, the most natural meeting is the first meeting. We're like, oh my God, I haven't seen you for ages. Imagine if you didn't get on video and you're like, oh, we actually need to film this again for the video. And it's just like, oh, hey. Like, I hate doing an intro to a video and then the other person has to do the intro again and it's like it's almost like you're on a set and everything is just staged and I'm like oh, it's not real anymore like I, I want things to be as pure as real as they possibly can be so the good thing about Louis is he can be there in the background and he's filming and I can do my stuff but I think some of the most valuable content which I put out and when I uh, open up is when nobody's around and it's just me and the camera because there's no distractions and, you know, if I mess up, then I can just start again. Sometimes if I'm uh, trying to speak to the camera and there's, there's so many distractions around, uh, I'm not concentrating. Do you still get much. nervous on camera, whatever it's 200, 300 videos in now? Uh, I think the hard, the thing I hate the most is doing an introduction to a video. I don't, know, I don't know why it's like, well, just like, like, so hey guys, na, 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 na. it's just like, like, that's one thing I don't like. And I think, yeah, if I would probably get a little bit nervous if I'm doing a collab with someone huge or someone I've, like, really looked up to. Who would that be? Who would you get most nervous doing an intro to a video in front of? 
I don't know. There was a few people who I'd, I'd this is this is the weirdest thing I find, right? So if you're doing a collab with someone you've never met before, it's weird because you've never met each other and you're trying to act like you are like friends and like the chemistry is really good. And it's very <laughs> you've met each other three yeah, seconds ago. Yeah. And it's like you don't even know this person. So that's why sometimes it's good to do a collab with someone who you've already you've met them a few times and it's like more natural. Or doing a collab with someone who is like very sort of charismatic and has like a big personality because they Cause kind then, of kill the tension yeah yeah you just no. vibe off each other yeah so who would anyone that you think like that would that would make me really nervous to be in front of them mm. if you sat me down with rogan i'd probably poop my pants like just hearing oh yeah, yeah. three yeah you know yeah if i one. went on the joe rogan experience i, I would just be like oh my god there's millions of people listening to me <laughs> And the first five minutes would be so cringy, probably. I've spoken to, I've got a bunch of buddies who've been on the show or just friends that I've met through doing this who've been on Rogan a number of times. And they said the first time, if you could see under the table, their legs just going, you know, bouncing your leg up and down, desperately trying to get rid of this anxiety. Yeah, incredibly (laughs) damp, sweaty hands, desperately trying not to touch anything. And then obviously, like the, the root one solution if you're on Rogan is to just have a spliff or a beer. We don't want to do that either because yeah. then what if you fuck up and say yeah, the wrong yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's that's a level of of pressure that I think. I don't. Know. I think it's 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 also quite tough as well. I remember there was this one time I had to do an interview with Lewis Hamilton. This is, <laughs> this is when I did a this, like mad collab with Puma, uh, where they got me involved and they just wanted they wanted me to do like a, a short interview with Lewis Hamilton. And it was annoying because I didn't really get to ask the questions which I wanted to ask. They just gave me some questions which I had to ask. And anyway, we got there. He obviously came up, shook his hand, had a little bit of a chat. And then we sat down. And I, I kid you not, there was about 30 people just staring at me. Cameras, everything, silence. And I was just like, like this, God. Bro, my second ever episode for this show was with Dave Castro, the director of the CrossFit Games. This mm-hmm. is a guy that I've looked up to on being a fan of CrossFit for like 10 years. And it's for Reebok, brand new shoe that they're releasing, exactly the same thing. So the mark, we just finished a workout. I, I binned myself in heart rates like 180. And they're like, right, Chris, we've got about six minutes. And then Dave's going to be over there ready to go. And I'm thinking, right, I need to get my heart rate. I somehow need to get it down, but it doesn't want to go down now, yeah. whether I'm recovering or not. And uh, yeah, sat down in front of this big group of people. And uh, they asked about what's your favorite Reebok shoe? And he just basically said, I don't really care about them. And I saw the marketing director from Reebok go like this. <laughs> and I'm fine, the thing. I'm trying to balance all this stuff. So yeah, I imagine Lewis Hamilton's another, yeah. another, another level of that. Yeah. Guys, I, I think it depends on the, the person as well. Like if, they're, if they're quite a serious, intense person, I would be more nervous and just be like, ooh. It's difficult to break the ice, right? But if it's somebody who's just like proper easygoing and they got a good chat, I think it's definitely a lot easier. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, we're gone gone on that one, so we're we're just on one angle now. Uh, Two questions left. Um, First one is, what's your prediction for the next five years, platform-wise, content-wise, what are you thinking is going to continue to be? But you attempted to do a TikTok, are you thinking YouTube's going to continue to grow? I think YouTube will still be around for the next few years. The thing that's annoying me is the whole censorship thing. I think it's getting a little bit like too strict with what you can and can't say. Like the, 
free speech, I think, is going a little bit out the window. Like now, if you're talking about sensitive subjects or conspiracy theories, YouTube would just take your video down. It's a bit like, well, that's a bit harsh. Have you been popped for any of that stuff yet? No, because there's things I want to talk about. I'm like, just, just don't say it, Mike. It's best not to say it sometimes, particularly if it's something which is quite a touchy subject, because you are going to have people who will agree or disagree. And it's mad how people will just not like you because you have different opinions. Because so. you picked an opinion. Yeah. Basically, it's mad. That's why I'm slightly a statement of that. Um, Instagram, I imagine, will be around for a while. TikTok, I've not... I don't really know much about TikTok. I've thought about potentially getting onto it, but I just thought... The problem is now... I can see you doing a dance. I Yeah, a bad one. Um, I, I would much rather be on top of my game and focus on, like, two platforms rather than trying to do five and just overwhelm myself and not putting out the best content. So YouTube is, all, is going to be my focus. Instagram, obviously, my focus as well. I should probably place a bit more focus on Instagram if I want to grow. But I was possibly thinking about podcasting. It's, it's been toying with my mind over the past few years because uh, the thing with my YouTube videos is most people will tune into a YouTube video, average view length, six minutes, eight minutes. And what do you aim to hit? Like 10 to 15? Yeah, 10 to 15. I don't think... So you're looking I mean, at like a 33% yeah. like attrition rate, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but there's like, it's annoying because when I've cut videos, I'm like, all this information is useful, but people will tune out what's not visually pleasing. This isn't the right platform for this content. And the best content, the best platform for that to be on would be a podcast. And what I get a lot of satisfaction out of is having conversations like this with other people who are on the same level, they've got the same you know, ambitions, but they are an expert in their own field because I know not only will I benefit from the conversation because I learn, but the audience benefits as well because they learn. And I think that would provide me with a hell of a lot of satisfaction. But the thing is, if, if I am going to do it, I have to go all in. I have to fully commit to it. I don't like doing things half-assed. And particularly with the way my lifestyle has been over the past two years, I think trying to do a podcast would have been overwhelming uh, in terms of the workload. Maybe the YouTube would have suffered or certainly would have had a lot less free time. And I like to have my free time. But I think in terms of me going to that next step, you know, I'm 30 years old now. I feel like I've gained a lot of experience. I certainly have a lot more to talk about than I did when I was 25. I think I first toyed with the idea when I was 26. But what I could talk about now compared to when I was 26 would be a hell of a lot more. I've got more influence now in terms of the people I could reach out to. And I think in terms of just keeping my, you know, my brand and me in the game as being a person of influence and importance, having a solid podcast would be hugely beneficial. And I don't necessarily, because you know what I said with the YouTube videos, you know, I could spend like a lot of time going out there trying to get the visuals. Maybe it's like a, for a 30-second edit, I'm like, God, like, that was a lot of effort. I'm happy with the results, but it was a lot of effort. And it hasn't actually necessarily developed you as a person. No, I like, and it's just like doing the same thing over and over again just to get that shot. Whereas a podcast, you don't need the mad visuals or anything like that. It's just like two people sat in a room having a conversation. I wouldn't do personally any of the editing or filming. I'd hire someone, set everything up, uh, Crack switch on. the angles, and then I can have that conversation with someone. And then 
that's that. They go. I think you do well, man. I'd, yeah. I'd tune in. I'd subscribe. You got, yeah. you, got, you got one subscriber at least. Yeah. <laughs> and I obviously, I think the the most challenging thing, which I'm sure you have figured out, is just becoming a good conversationalist and asking the right questions, keeping a conversation flowing. And I would imagine one of the hardest things is just reaching out to people. First, you've got to email them, message them, have that conversation, and then try and find a place where you can both be at the same time and then scheduling time. I know there's a few times you've messaged me and I've like... This has been... Being proper flaky and just... It's ongoing for three years, yeah. So, like, I'm sorry for that. There's obviously a lot of time and effort which has just been wasted because I've not... But when you are jet-setting around the world, yeah. it's just trying to grab a, grab a little hook yeah. onto you. But no, I think that you are right. There's certainly... I wonder how many YouTubers would increase their stock mm-hmm. by adding a podcast onto the arm of their YouTube channel. And I wonder how many YouTubers would get totally rumbled yeah. I th- for having nothing to say yeah. outside of a script. Yeah, because I think there's a lot... There's a lot of people who don't go onto YouTube from Instagram. They're big on Instagram because they look good and their content is good, mm-hmm. but they don't have a huge amount to say, or they're actually not that intelligent. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of YouTubers who maybe have, they have more to say, or they're good at the visual side of things, but they can't carry a conversation. So, yeah, I think definitely there'd be fewer people in the YouTube space who would be able to maybe... Like, Do that long form. And I don't know if I would be successful or not. I think if I put my mind to something... I will figure out a way to make it work. That's like the mentality I've had throughout my entire life. So if I was to do this, then I would have to go all in. And I would put in the effort to go and just learn to be a better conversationalist and how to actually conduct a proper like podcast. Um, because I know for a fact the first few ones would be... Shit. Yeah, just weird. No podcast has done a good first episode yeah. ever. Uh, last question. Um what are your goals over the next year? Have you got anything that you're working toward at the moment? Is there anything that you want to try and develop? So there's always, with me, I always like to see growth in all the areas of which I'm sort of working on. So it's nice to see the YouTube views, subscribers go up, same like Instagram, things like that. In terms of revenue, like, yeah, I want to be making more money. Who the hell doesn't want to be making more money? Uh, I have a new app, which is coming out in December. So I've got a company called Genflow. They've basically put it together and that's going to be a subscription-based app, which is something which I'm really happy about because for the first time ever, I can offer people like a, a platform where they can choose how many days per week they want to train. They can almost choose their split and it will be the most sort of user-friendly, uh, almost like I'm there to help conduct their session. So there's that, which when it comes out, there'll be a lot of work which goes into marketing that. What's that going to be called? Don't know yet. Cool. I was going to call it first, but I don't think that's... First is the clothing line. I don't think that's got a ring to it with the app itself. There's the clothing brand, which has been up and running for the past year. That's been mostly swimwear focused, but now it's going to branch out into gymwear. So I have a new launch for that in November, and then we have like tracksuits, um, accessories, more things coming out in, I think it's February. But the, the sky is the limit with that one. Like, that has the potential to be huge. But in order for that to grow, I need to build a team. Because I, I've got so many things going on at the moment. The way it's kind of been running in the, the past year, it's not had my full attention. And I've tried to do a lot of stuff myself. Uh, so I would need to, 
I think my next step is to, to build a team, to grow a team, have them handle all the things which I am either not good at or just don't have the time to do, and then me continue to do what I'm best at doing. But this is something which I don't have a huge amount of experience in. I've said this for the last year, that if someone could create a course on how to find, train, and integrate a VA or PA, yeah. I, I'd happily pay two grand, yeah. like overnight. How do I source someone who is great at responding to emails, at dealing with guest requests, at paying all of the, at making sure that the advertisers have paid their invoices on time? I know that Rogan doesn't have a PA, but his life is so distributed. He doesn't also handle his own like advertising. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't have to make sure that young Jamie sent the audio file off to the video editor so it can get uploaded onto Spotify. So I think I, I, there's a lot that I like about being a, an independent creator and being in control. I really enjoy yeah. being the person that reaches out to my guests that gets to message yeah. you and say, when can we, when can we do stuff? But like chasing up advertisers for invoices and you know, all that sort of stuff. Have I paid out the splits from YouTube ad revenue to the people that need paying? Mm. Like, that really could be done by anybody. Yeah, and like, like you said, I like to be in control. And when I do something, I do it to my best ability. I, it would be very tough to give that responsibility to somebody else. You're limiting your ability to scale that. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, like I said, it's just finding that, the, that one person or the first few members of staff who are just your dream members of staff who just do everything, like, and they're a pleasure to be around. like. Where the hell do you find them? So it's, I was talking with Stephen Bartlett, guy's CEO of Social Chain, at Stephen. Uh, I went for dinner with him and a bunch of his guys the other day, and his new manager is two weeks old. He's been with him two weeks, not two week year old. Um, and he, Stephen, just put out a post on his socials yeah. saying, "I need a new manager. Here's the email address. Yeah. Send me what you think I need to know." So, so he received six thousand <laughs> email emails, right? So he's going through, and I. I George, my buddy, asked him, so how did you filter through 6,000 emails? So the first thing I did was just go through them like next, 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 and just do it based on formatting. Like if it was formatted well, mm -hmm. then it, it got moved. If it was formatted badly, it got deleted. Mm -hmm. And then filter through, filter through, filter through. And sure enough, this guy now is flat. He was in Dubai the other day because Steve was out here in Dubai. Then Steve's got this meeting with the CEO of Huel because he's going in-house with Huel to do all this sort of stuff. And this dude's just been dropped into a bottomless pit of graft but he's there and he's ready to do it yeah um so yeah i think certainly if like if i was to put a story up and just bullet point points of the requirements of what i would need and maybe be quite sort of strict with it to eliminate the riffraff yeah uh maybe that i would have less emails but i know there'd be like, people see my lifestyle and be like I, want to work I just with want to be, be on that apart yeah. that, like I, get people Chris me, I get people messaging me saying look i'll come and work for free I just want to you don't up. want the guy that's free, though. No. Yeah. I really do appreciate that, like when people reach out to content creators and say that they want to contribute. But the problem is price is an indicator of quality. Yeah. On the, the person who will reach out and say, mate, I will make your life 100 times easier, but it's going to cost you 40 grand a year. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay, now, we've, now there's a conversation to be had. That, uh, that's why I never, I never ask for anything for free. Because I know, like, if I was to go and train someone for free... I wouldn't put in as much effort because I know well, I'm not getting paid for this. So, you know, like what's the point? And realistically, you know, if I ask a cameraman or whatever, like, oh, can you come and do this for free? They don't put in the same amount of effort. 
So even if someone does like a favor or anything like that, I'm like, look, I'm going to pay you for this. Like, don't worry. And they're always, they'll put in that extra effort, which is what I want. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next year, man. I think we're certainly going to see, it feels to me personally like Instagram's kind of hit its peak. Mm-hmm. I just can't see that. Facebook's already on that route down. Twitter's had like an interesting resurgence, which has been quite like maybe powered by people like Donald Trump, mm-hmm. I suppose, um, as a place to go for, for short little clips of news. I certainly think long form is going to do well. TikTok, I'm not convinced on whether or not that's going to stay around. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I certainly don't think it's going to push into older age brackets though. So we're like outside of the observable universe of that. Like we're not getting younger. Yeah, like and it's I'm, not right I'm, for me now. I'm in. I probably say I'm in my prime now. I don't know how many years I've got left to kind of rely on my looks and my physique. That's not going to last forever. So you know, once I get past thirty-five, hitting forty, yeah, I want to still look good at forty, but not going to look as good as you did. Yeah, it. that's when I need to maybe start relying on something else. Mm. Man, thank you so much. Uh, people want to check out your stuff. Where should they go? Just YouTube, Instagram, search for Mike Thurston, you'll find me. If you want any training programs, mikethurston.co.uk. And best swim shorts in the game, thurstonware.com. Linked in the show notes below. Brother, thank you. It's been a long time coming. Bye. Peace.